The Bible reading this morning is Luke chapter 15, verses 11 to 32. Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me a share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country, who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare, and here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven. And against you, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Thanks very well, Reg. Just a reminder, we do have with these uh, over these weeks, just a set of studies. You're welcome just to pick up. They're up the back. Uh, They're free. If you'd like to dig a little deeper. Um. Uh, into what is here for us. Let me pray as we begin. Merciful Father, thanks for this beautiful uh, piece of scripture. Um, The third story um, 
uh, in the chapter to take us to the heart of who you are uh, and what it means to know you and to be responding uh, to your grace with all joy in believing. Amen. Well, last week, if you were here, I said, um, uh, Gita and I were far from the perfect parents with uh, uh, the ability to, to lose our children. We've got four of them. And uh, this begin with the second story. Uh, it's a few years now since we'd lost Aisha, but we're in Sydney now. It's 2001. And um, we're at Marrickville Shopping Centre uh, there, it's sort of in, in the heart uh, of Sydney. It's sort of a mini Westfield. It's a Saturday morning. We're in Kmart. We're clothes shopping. And... Um, you know, the, all the clothes racks and stuff. We can see three of our kids playing there. It's like, hey, uh, go, have you seen Jaya? Um, we, twin girls, both about two and a half at this, this point, and no, no Jaya. They hadn't seen her for a, for a few minutes. We, we look around the clothes racks. We call out, Jaya, Jaya. You know, what, you know no Jaya. Uh, we widen our search. Um, still no Jaya. We alert the security staff in the Kmart store. We hear all their walkie-talkies going off, looking for a little girl, you know, dressed like this in a little dress. Um, and we're looking there, looking, you know, you can see the exit doors, which go straight out onto the streets, uh, out of the store. Still no Jaya. She's not in Kmart. And so we, we, we come outside now, looking outside uh, to the malls. Uh, it's an inside mall there, outside Kmart. And um, the security of the whole shopping centre are alerted. Uh, there's a lot of noise, a lot of people, but a lot of noise going on. There's a, a stage set up there in the middle of the mall um, with a kids' concert going on. All these people are there. It's in a part of Sydney where there's all sorts of people from all walks of life. And we're sort of 15 minutes into it. We're, our hearts are sort of in our mouths. We're imagining the worst. Um, and we're just huddling there as a family, um, you know, our worst fears being realised. And suddenly we see uh, this woman break out the back of the crowd that was around the kids' concert um, and she's walking towards us and she's holding the hand of a little girl and it's Jaya. Couldn't believe it. We ran there and we picked her up. Uh, just so happy, so relieved. Um, tears and, uh, you know, hugs. And, of course, Jaya's just like, huh, what, what's, what's going on? What's the, what's the fuss all about? Um, you see, what had happened, she had heard the partying going on uh, out there in Kmart sounded a lot more interesting <laughs> uh, than clothes shopping in Kmart for a two-and-a-half-year-old. So she just decided to stray off like a lost sheep, really. Um, and she had worked her way through the crowd right to the front. <laughs> um, and that's, that's where this lady had... Uh, she, she'd heard the announcement over the loudspeakers, uh, noticed this little girl sort of by herself bopping along there, you know, and said, oh, you know, where's your mummy and daddy? And, uh, oh, I don't know, <laughs> in Kmart. Anyway, so she, she, she brought her back. Um, and again, uh, I'm sure I'm not alone in uh, misplacing our children uh, for, for certain amounts of time, but... These lost and stories, it takes us to the heart of the lost and found stories that Jesus is telling us. Uh, he's really asking his hearers then and now the question, how well do we know God? How well do we know the heart of God? How well are our lives, our emotions, our minds, our, our motives for getting out of bed in tune with the heart of our Heavenly Father? And that's why he's telling these three stories. We had the first two last week, and this week we come to the third and possibly the most well-known story. But I guess the question Jesus has for us this morning is, how well do we actually really know this story? Um, because what, what I want to do over the next um, little while is just ask us to sit deep in this story, and hopefully we come out of it uh, just having been... Uh, 
marinated uh, with the grace of God in that. Let's have a look with us. Um, we begin, uh, there's an outline as well just to follow along, that there are, there are two sorts uh, of people listening to Jesus, we're told, uh, which is a beautiful capture of there are two sorts of lost people in the world there, um, where we, we see there's um, the irreligious types, you know, the, the sinners, tax collectors, prostitutes, those types that are listed. Um, just people who, um, by the way they live their life, they live their life on their sleeve, you can see what, what they think or don't think about God, uh, you can see their morality in their life choices, um, and the, the sensual living types don't care what others think, um, and it's just plain to see what they think about God. Then there's the, the ethical religious types, they're sort of um, called here the Pharisees, teachers of the law, and um, these are people who are just have a great sense of morality, um, usually you know, upstanding citizens uh, in society. They're probably on council. They care deeply uh, about community, um, care, care about uh, the minutiae of laws uh, and rules. They're very dutiful. They're diligent. Um, uh, they they want to be seen to be doing a good job, uh, making you know, their decisions to make sure they're, they're pleasing others. Uh, and certainly these guys, um, that, that hopefully in God's eyes, they're, they're, they're pleasing God. But... Jesus is saying that's the two spectrums. And then you've got all the crowd, you've got thousands of people as well listening in to Jesus. And really what Jesus is trying to teach us here in Luke 15 in this story is that um, every human being is either one or the other or a mixture of both in terms of what's in here, what's in our hearts. Um, That whatever camp we're in um, or a mixture of both, we're all equally lost and equally in need of God's floodwater of grace. So as I said, Jesus' question of us today is how in tune with the heart and mind of God um, is our heart and our mind. And so it begins, doesn't it? Jesus that says there's a man who had two sons, not one, but two sons. It's called um, uh, the, the parable of the lost son, the prodigal son. But as we'll see, um, both sons are, are equally lost. Uh, that first point there, a prodigal God and lost younger sons and daughters, um, Verse 12, the father, uh, the younger son uh, said to his father, Hey, Dad, give me my share of the estate now. Uh, if we've got any teenagers here this morning, you could try this on tonight before you go to bed with mum and dad. Uh, sell the house now. I want my share. Just see how they react. I mean, just let me know next week. But... If, if you want Jesus' definition of younger son sin here, it, it's right here, isn't it? Um, now, just a bit of context. In Jesus' day, um, the older son, the firstborn, uh, would inherit uh, two-thirds of the property because there's only one other son. Two-thirds of the property and the younger son would inherit one-third. Um, and, of course, any inheritance we know is received with the death of the parents. So, Dad, I want my third of the estate now. Um, Dad, I really wish you were dead. I really don't want a relationship with you or this family anymore. What I want is your stuff. (laughs) And in particular, I want to be able to enjoy your stuff that's coming to me now. uh, And I want to have complete control over uh, how I use it, how I spend it, what I do with it, when I I use it, who who I spend it with. It's just an extraordinary declaration of independence, isn't it? You see, I want to be free of you and your rules and 
Um, I just want to run my life my own way. And it's just a beautiful summary of the Bible story of sin, that it's not about breaking rules. It's about breaking relationships. It's a broken relationship. Um, It's when you're saying, look, I really don't want you in my life. And, of course, this all began right back at the beginning of history, recorded in Genesis 3 with uh, those first uh, human beings, Adam and Eve, um, when they chose to step out from under God's life-giving and loving rule. And it's, it's, it's that sugar-coated lie that the world continues to hold out to us uh, that is, is not some out, out there, but it's in here, that we think you know, true freedom, true happiness... Is, is somewhere else. It's that next holiday. It's oh, the better house, the, the this or the that, the upgrade. The... We, we have a, um, a miscued understanding of freedom. And that really takes us to the heart of the younger son's lostness and people like him. Um, so his father divided his property between them, we read, verse 12. His son sets off for a distant country. Now, Remember, this is um, a Jewish village. So it's son saying, not only do I not want anything with you, Dad, or the family, but I don't want to be, have to live as a Jew anymore. I don't want to have to live as a part of this community, this village. And I really want to go off and live and party and experience the freedom um, out from under God's laws and live like a Gentile. And we read that that's where he squanders or wastes his wealth in wild living. Now, we don't know the details of that wild living. We're not told. Um, just that it's, it's, it's wild. Um, it could be like uh, a gap year um, in Europe that's been paid for by mum and dad. And you're over there for a year. It's their money, their resources, and you're, just, you're living it up. Um, you're partying day and night. You're, you're, you're hanging out with whoever you want, whenever you want, doing what you want. But is this really freedom? As Jesus says, the freedom that this younger son sought ended up becoming um, a horrible captivity, a living hell. Sentence 14, after he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country and he began to be in need. Now, I'm sure most of us have lived long enough, if you think about it, You've had the experience of getting something that you wished for, but then the consequences started to hit home. (laughs) And you think, oh boy, I wish I'd never wished for that in the first place. (laughs) Um, I'm sure we've all all had that. Um, You see, this, this younger son, hasn't he? He's turned his back on home, and now he is without a home. He's turned his back on home, and now he is without a home. And so we read there, verse 16, uh, 15 and 16, I should say. Um, so he went and hired himself out uh, to a citizen, again a Gentile of that country, uh, who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. Can you see this sort of um, gradual um, furthering and uh, journey further and further away uh, from being Jewish and, and as, as he's hanging out with unclean Gentiles and Pigs, which made, made, uh, made Jews unclean. And, and, uh, um, and the guy is so desperate. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, we're told. But no one gave him anything. See, why is this? How did he end up here? 
Uh, when, when you find yourself in, a, in a, a horrible place, yes, there are things that happen in the world like COVID, but most of it's because of our choices, isn't it? The choices we make or don't make and, um, and, 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 and those consequences that follow. You see, at the heart of his lostness, is this, it's an illusion of freedom, an illusion of freedom. We think that freedom comes from having autonomy from others, from just, yeah, uh, being able to do what you want, whenever you want, with whoever you want. But it's a sleep, sleeping beauty, sort of poisoned apple sort of freedom. Uh, a sugar-coated uh, cyanide pill, if you like. Starts off sweet, becomes bitter. It's got the appearance of freedom, but it's, it's a destructive slavery, really, just to yourself. Uh, your own passions and our desires and uh, the pursuit of pleasure. And, of course, the world says that the worst sort of slavery uh, is going on in here right now. Uh, you know, slaves to, to God's word and God. And, um, but here is Jesus reminding us that God's way is always the most beautiful way, the graceful path to freedom and to life, to love, and just to being human. The extreme desperateness of the younger son's lostness, it shows us that he's without any means to, res- to be able to rescue himself, doesn't it? Um, and that God has sent a famine at this time. That God has sent a COVID virus into the world at this time. It's just a reminder that God's always doing everything, using everything that's going on in our lives and in this world to get our attention to bring us to our senses, to bring us home to him. And it's just a beautiful picture of a sovereign God of very, very patient grace who's always playing the long game, never gives up on people. See, when a person has been so rebellious and they've ruined their life and they've done and said so many despicable things, they've brought so much shame and hurt you know, to, to your parents or to your family or, 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 or to your community. It's just natural that you're just, it's this bitter pill, this resentment. That you, oh, if I ever see them again, they're just going to get what's coming to them. And so it raises the question for us, how can people like this, how can younger sons and daughters who have gone off the rails, who have lived like this, uh, I did it for 10 years when I left home. How on earth can you come home to God? See, what's this teenager thinking? It's there in verses 18 and 19, isn't it? Have a look with me. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So what's his plan? Well, it's a good plan. It's to turn back. Um, what will he say? Dad, I have been a duffer. I've been a dill. I've been a rebel. Uh, I've been the worst sort of son you could have ever hoped for. I regret. I'm so sorry for what I said and what I did. And what's he going to do? Well, he knows that he has just killed any chance of being part of the family again. Um, And so at best what he can hope for is to be like a hired uh, apprentice labourer who lives in the town and is hired to come and work on his dad's property and that he uses whatever income he can to pay off the debt and in, in some way carve out a living for himself um, and not get um, stoned in the process by the village. So that's his plan. 
it raises all sorts of questions. Not only how will dad react, how will my older brother react, but how will the village react? See, when you've wronged someone, we know, don't we, that any chance of repairing that relationship, of, of rebuilding the trust, it's, it's wholly up to them. Yes, you can come, you can say sorry, but in the end, it's whether, it's whether or not they are prepared to forgive you and whether or not they are prepared to count the cost that it takes for them to cover the debt and to forgive you. And that brings us to the Father's graceful response. Like most uh, non-Western societies today, um, unlike Australia, which I think is currently ranked as the most individualistic country on the planet, I think. Actually, it might be the second or third. I think Denmark or Sweden might be up there. That is where um, we just live as individuals. We make our own decisions as individuals. Uh, the laws and everything, we, we're encouraged to, to say and do and think what we want based on what we want. Who cares how it affects people around us? Um, however, most other societies in the world have always been, and even still today, you know, through Asia, the Middle East, uh, what called on a shame societies, community-based societies. That is, um, you know, uh, someone, uh, say, from um, a village in China, they decide, parents decide they're going to send their, their, their child to Australia to study. You know, what they study, how well they do in their marks, what sort of job they get. It not only brings honour or shame, like honour on the, on the family, but actually the whole village. And that decision has actually been made with parents talking with the whole village. It's, it's been a collective decision, these honour-shame societies. In Jesus' day, highly honour-shame, the first duty of any child was to respect and to love and honour their parents. The worst thing they could do was to do anything that would bring any disrespect or dishonour to mum and dad, the parents or the local village. And what the father should have done is actually disowned the son when he came to him with his demands, driven him out, uh, possibly with a good stoning thrown in as well. Um, and this is why the Pharisees, if you like, the teachers of the law, they're so puzzled with Jesus. He's eating and drinking and welcoming all the riffraff, uh, all the irreligious, the immoral, the people who are living immorally, their life on their sleeve. Um, you just would never see them in synagogue or church, these guys. But here's Jesus eating and drinking and welcoming them. And these guys, you see, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, they know from Deuteronomy that this is what God has said, how any father should treat a rebellious son or daughter. If someone has a stubborn and rebellious son or daughter who does not obey their father and mother and will not listen to them when they discipline them, his father and mother shall take hold of him or her, bring them to the elders at the gate of the town. They shall say to the elders, this son of your as is stubborn and rebellious. He will not obey us. He is a glutton and a drunkard. Then all the uh, men of his town are to stone him to death. You must purge the evil from among you. That's what God said to Israel before they entered into the promised land. But we're told this father divided his property. Um, I, I want to acknowledge at this point, uh, one of the people I've been um, reading this week just to help me sit deeper in this chapter just for myself uh, is Tim Keller, who's thought deeply about this part of Scripture, written some wonderful uh, books. One is recommended uh, in the studies, uh, Prodigal God. I do encourage you to grab a copy um, and have a read. But as he points out from the original text, the language, the Greek, 
The word that's used for property here is bios. Uh, it's where we get the word biology from. The study of, not property, but the study of life. Yeah. See, he divided his life. That's what we're told he did. And we know that in a lot of uh, countries, and even in our country, uh, a family's life and identity, it's actually wrapped up in the land. Gita and I were up the Flinders camping a few uh, weeks ago. Uh, we were at Horseshoe End Station, um, got to chat with the owners, um, and the, th that property has been in the family since 1870. It's been tough. They've come through droughts. Uh, they're retired. Um, they, they've come this close. They've had to sell a, sell a property or sell part of it, but instead they went and got work in town and whatever they could to keep the property in the family name because the whole family, their identity, everything, it was wrapped up in the property. And, and it's a bit like this. The, the father divided his life. He divided up literally his family. And, of course, his family is his life, isn't it? What gets you out of bed? Isn't it your family, your kids, <coughs> sends us to work? Um, it's why we, we, we move countries. Some, some of us have actually moved countries to give our kids, our family, a better future. So here we have the father dividing up his property, his life, the father bearing the cost. His son deserved death. But his father thought, I'll play the long game here because I want to hope and pray that he comes to his senses and might want to come home one day. And so he divided his property. He showed immeasurable, reckless grace. Anyway, uh, we pick the story up again. The son is on his way back with his plan to live as a servant, as a slave, uh, to try and pay off the debt, verse 20. But while he's still a long way off, his father sees him. He sees his son far off. He's running towards him. Imagine you're the son. You're seeing your dad doing what no landowner did, picking your breeches up. It's the equivalent of um, you know, all the dads in the room stripping down to their underwear and running down you know, Gawler Street. Um, it's, it's just shameful. It's embarrassing. He just didn't do it. He just didn't do it. And what's, the, what's his son thinking? Far out, dad is coming to get me, to give me a good beating, to stone me, to, to, to send me away. But instead... No, no, no. His father sees his son while he's far off. He, he's been watching. He's a watching father, been watching the horizon, hoping, praying every day. Filled with compassion, the father implements his plan. He bears, humbles himself and bears the shame of his son's sin, runs through town, wraps his arm around this smelly, pig-covered son who's unclean, socially unacceptable. He's broken laws, he's brought shame and dishonour and he's kissing him, doing all the things to show him but also to show the village. It's all happening out in the, in the, in the village square here that the father is welcoming home the son. The father is forgiving his son. He runs, he hugs, he kisses, covering over the sin and the shame of his son to redeem and to reconcile him, counting all the cost himself to restore his son. But he's not done yet. He says, bring a robe, put it on him. Quick, quick, bring a ring, put it on him. Whose robe? Whose ring? Well, his robe, his ring. 
restored as a son. And of course, the ring was actually how you wrote contracts. With all the rights as a son to write contracts again. And of course, here's the story of Jesus on his cross for us. God and his son running across the universe, humbling himself, bearing the suffering and the sin and the shame and all that guilt and condemnation on himself for us. So we could be forgiven and brought home with his beautiful, righteous clothes, what we've just remembered in the Lord's Supper. Is this the God of reckless love that you know? But Jesus has told us already, you know, any, anyone who repents and comes home to God, there's a party in heaven. What's the repentance on view here? We've sort of talked about it the last few weeks. What's the young son's plan? I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. What does he end up saying while he's sort of trying to get a word in uh, through his father's embrace? You know, Dad, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But notice what he doesn't say. He doesn't say, make me like one of your hired servants. I mean, what a ridiculous thing to say, having just been restored as a son. (laughs) See, saving repentance is surrendering to God's free rescuing grace. It's, it's coming to God on his terms, which means we need to shred our resumes, our CVs, uh, our moral uprightness, whatever it is that you think God might be pleased with. They've got to be put through the shredder. And we come to God on his terms, accepting his grace, a complete surrender. Of course, the father's not done. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast. Celebrate. This son of mine was dead, is alive again. He was lost and he's found. Let's party. Let's celebrate. Killing a fattened calf. I mean, it's for the whole town. That's the most lavish thing um, a property owner could do. Uh, Very, very valuable. They hardly ever did it. This was, you only did it for the most extravagant celebration and party. Come and enter into my joy. Come and feast and celebrate with me. This son of mine who was lost is found. He was dead. He's alive. Now, I want to ask you that, yes, this younger son has been like a prodigal. Prodigal is a word that means um, exorbitant expenditure. And he has. He's gone off and lived exorbitantly, expending um, a third of his his, his father's property. But it doesn't doesn't begin to compare, does it? with how exorbitant this father has been in his expenditure of his grace toward his son. Again, using the property's resources, his resources, not just to to restore his son, but to party and celebrate that he's been found. Well, it brings us, of course, to the other son, doesn't it? And given the audience that's on view, the grumbling, um, dutiful, you know, moral upright uh, people who are within earshot of Jesus, who are grumbling at Jesus. Uh, these, these are probably the sort of people that Jesus more sharply has in mind. So we come to that point too, a prodigal God and lost older sons and daughters. Verse 25. <clears throat> Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So we called one of the servants and asked them, what's going on? Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused 
to go in. Now, if we had a bit more time, and I gave you a bit more time to reflect, we can sort of sympathise with the older son, can't we? <laughs> He's the guy who stayed home. He's been doing the work of two. Dutiful, diligent, looking after mum and dad, the family. Well, again, two things that stand out. The older son's sin. It's there in verses 29 and 30. He answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you. He never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. That is, I've been righteous. He's one of the righteous 99 that Jesus talks about with the lost sheep. Moral, law-abiding, upright. I've done the right thing, Dad. You've never given me anything to go on, you know, even just a goat. So I can go on, you know, have a party with my mates. But can we see that the sin of the older son here, it's actually no different from the sin of his younger brother. It's a bit harder to see because it's not out there. It's in here. It's in his heart. You see, his heart is not with his father. It's not with the, the joy of his father. This son who he thought was dead is alive, is lost, is found. It's not in his father's joy of recovery. It's not with his brother. His heart is not with his family. You see, his, his heart, his joy is, I want to go and party with a goat with my mates, not with my family, <laughs> with my mates. Just like the younger son wanted to go off and party with people who were not his family. You see, this older son, his anger and resentment, it's, it's fueled and exposed, it's laid bare, finally, in reaction to his father's exorbitant grace, his reckless grace, isn't it? Have you ever sort of like, you know, when someone gets a leg up, you think, oh, why do they get the promotion? Come on. Or, you know, it's, I think we call it jealousy, um, coveting what others get, you know, and, oh, I can't believe, how come they get, they won the lottery? Oh. <laughs> it's a bit like what's going on here. But it goes, this is where we just got to appreciate something that, stuff that Jesus says and doesn't say in this story. You see, whose resources and property did the father use to pay off the younger son's debt to recover him? Whose property and resources is the father using to party? Whose fattened calf is it? Do you remember that the father has already divided his property? He's already given the two-thirds of his property to the older son. It's all his. It's why the father says to the older son, what are you talking about? All that I have is already yours. <laughs> I've already divided the property. What are you talking about? You see, what's really fueling his anger at his father's generosity is that his dad is using his inheritance to restore the younger son. The dad's using his inheritance to party and celebrate the recovery of that young, immoral 
son who's brought so much shame and dishonor. And you, can just, you can always hear the bitterness of this older son. That's my inheritance you've wasted. That's my inheritance you're eating in there. My chickens, my calf, my wine. And so we come to the older son's lostness. The older son's relationship with his father, it's as fractured, if not more so, than the younger brother's was. What's the only difference? The younger brother came out and said what he was thinking. <laughs> he shows us it's possible to live in the household of God and still be lost to God and in great need of God's rescue. The older son is not serving at the pleasure of his father. He's not there. He hasn't stayed behind. He's not living joyfully, um, labouring for his father, but he's living and serving as a servant. He's got his eyes on his father's stuff, on his inheritance. That's where his heart is. He's just as lost. And again, it's all exposed by his father's reckless grace. And of course, again, you see, it's our Heavenly Father's reckless grace in sending his son Jesus. There's Jesus and everything that he's doing and saying that's ticking off the religious leaders and all the synagogue and church goers of the day. How well do we know the heart of this God of reckless grace? But it raises the question again, for those of us who are struggling to know the joy and the party and, and the celebration of this God, uh, who, who maybe are thinking, oh, I think I've got, a, I've got a bit of this and, you know, I come and do all this Christian stuff because I have to. Not, you know, like, if we're honest, how do older sons and daughters come inside to God? And again, uh, the fact that this son, he's there, the whole town's there, he's stayed outside, he's yelled and screamed at his dad. It's, it's a public showdown of the worst kind uh, what his father should have done was rebuked him and sent him off humiliating him so terribly in public but the father we're told in verse 28 he went out and pleaded with him you can hear the cry of his father's heart come inside what are you doing out here please what are you pleaded with him in public See, the father knows that he gains nothing by ordering his older son into the house. He could do it. But if he does that, he doesn't gain a son, he gains a servant. Just like his response to the younger son. So the father goes outside to search and to seek. He goes outside to the rebellious son, humiliating himself publicly. Again, it's just, it's the cross. Counting the cost, doing everything to make, that his, his, his son might choose to come inside. You see, just like younger sons, older sons need to repent. It not, might not be as visible and, <laughs> you know, as much sort of like, out there, moral change, but it's, it's in here that matters. That's where repentance really matters. Surrendering completely to the terms of our Heavenly Father's grace in Jesus. And of course, the parable ends. Well, how does it end? We don't know what the older son does. It's open-ended. 
Did he come inside? I don't know. How did he respond? And so we come to point three, a prodigal God who sent a true elder brother for us. You see, what, what, what is it we actually need for God to do in our hearts to, to save us, to bring us home? Well, it's, 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 it's a revolution, isn't it? Again, while camping up the Flinders a couple of weeks ago, we walked uh, a few creek breads, um, and it was about three weeks after those massive rains came through, um, and the evidence was everywhere, like just the, the gorges, the, the amount of water that must have gone through, like, wow, whole trees had been ripped out <laughs> and carried down, and it was just like it was so messy, and like the power of the torrent of water, unstoppable. But of course, that's the, that's the torrent of God's grace that comes to us in Jesus. This is the power we need. It's the only power in the universe that can reach into our hearts and uproot the pride, the ego, the me. To always wanting to save ourselves, to justify ourselves, to, you know, how good am I doing? Only God's grace can uproot that out of our lives. And to save us and to bring us home and to, and to conform us and to make us into more like Jesus. Two sorts of humanity. Both rebels of, both hearts are sick with the same sort of sin. You know, nothing to do with the creator. Just give me the created stuff. Thank you very much. I'll make my own life. Thank you very much. Both in equal need, both lost. That's why we need to keep rehearsing the cross. You see, the oldest son we need, of course, is Jesus. He's told three stories. The first two parables, there's a diligent search. Um, in the third one, uh, no one actually goes out in the same sort of way, do they? Especially in the first story. Again, in the culture of the day, as it is today, it was the oldest son's responsibility to always do his father's bidding, to care most what the father cared about. Um, uh, the younger son has gone off. Um, it's the older son's responsibility to actually go off to search and to find and bring home that younger son at his own expense and do it joyfully because he knows this is who and what is most precious to his father. This is, who, this is what's going to bring his father most joy, most celebration, is for the older son to go off and to bring home this rebel younger son at his own cost. But sadly, in this story, the younger son has a Pharisee for an older brother. <laughs> Again, as we look more closely at the story or who's telling the story, there's another older brother. There's another firstborn here in the chapter, isn't it? It's Jesus. It's Jesus who did give up everything to the delight and joy of his heavenly father, left heaven, became a man, Suffering, death on a cross, willingly bearing the sin of the world to his cross for us, counting the cost joyfully, joyfully to bring lost sinners home to God. How can the inner workings of our fear and our pride and all the things that, that, that defeat us and stop us and hold us back from entering in to the Christian life more fully, entering into the joy of our Heavenly Father, more fully throwing ourselves into the, the Son's mission to seek and find lost people? Well, it's only as we allow ourselves and beg God to please send more, a bigger torrent of grace our way <laughs> to get to know 
more deeply Scripture and, and our Saviour who is here for us. And so again, the question is, do you know this prodigal God of reckless, undeserved grace? Church communities. Uh, I planted one with Gita. It was a ball. We started off fresh and vital and young. There were 40. We grew to 160, 180, you know, 10 years. And, and I get it. it. It happened with us. Every day, every week, every like it's just more of the same. You can get the habits. You, it's only by God's grace that we can stay young and fresh and keep on, on task with the Father's mission, seeking and saving the lost. See, church communities are not meant to be religious service stations where we just pop in every now and again when the tank's getting empty. <laughs> meant to be rescue stations, like a surf life-saving club. Always watching, looking, searching, ready, bang, off we go. Coming together between our weeks of searching and eating and feasting with people around us. And again, a foretaste of the great banquet is what we've remembered today. That this is not it. There is a great banquet that's coming. Every seat will be full, says Jesus. And so I want to encourage us all this week. To take the time to sit in this for yourself. That lost and found story I started with about Jaya, there was a twist. And I'll, uh, I'll leave it with you. An irony. <laughs> we sort of quizzed the lady, you know, where'd you find Jaya? Oh, well, she was standing at the front, you know, bopping around right there. Right next to a security guard. <laughs> it was bopping around looking at the concert. <laughs> being distracted from his job. Not seeking and searching. It can happen to the best of us. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you just for this beautiful, beautiful piece of scripture. A parable, three stories, spoken out of a long-suffering love. Trying to teach everyone within earshot then and now of how beautiful, how exorbitant, how reckless is your grace. Please will you mercifully lead us deeper and deeper and deeper into the love of our Heavenly Father, into the joy of his rescue in his Son for us. And may that joy well up and bubble over into the lives of others that we, that, that we live each week with, our neighbours, our family, our friends, we, people we work and study with. May the joy of that rescue, our rescue, yeah, flow over into their lives that they may be found and brought home to you. Please help us, we pray, to live and serve for your pleasure, for your joy. In Jesus' name, amen.